if you believe strongly that what you're working on can have a positive impact or if that's what motivates you and that's what motivates me, I think that the likelihood of success increases significantly. Welcome to the Business for Good podcast, a show where we spotlight companies making money by making the world a better place. I'm your host, Paul Shapiro, and if you share a passion for using commerce to solve many of the world's most pressing problems, then this is the show for you. Welcome, friends, to the 61st episode of the Business for Good podcast. Did you know that two out of every five births in America are unplanned? Now, that is, of course, not to suggest that an unplanned baby is going to be an unloved baby, needless to say, but it is to suggest that family planning does tend to offer advantages for those families, especially for families with fewer means, since high birth rates make it particularly difficult for children to escape a vicious cycle of poverty. Smaller family sizes not only are helpful for poverty reduction, they also have environmental benefits for a planet currently experiencing exponential growth of the human species and all of the associated concerns that come along with that exponential growth, from climate change to deforestation and more. Unfortunately, though, Despite major revolutions in science and technology in recent decades, innovation and contraception just has not kept pace, making it harder for both men and women to thoughtfully decide when or even whether to procreate. And now, admittedly, women do have lots of contraceptive choices, but they tend to have some pretty unsavory side effects, especially those that are hormonal in nature. Men, on the other hand, basically have two choices, condoms, which aren't always the most popular, or vasectomy, which can be daunting for obvious reasons. As a result, the burden of pregnancy prevention has typically fallen disproportionately on women. Enter Your Choice Therapeutics, an early-stage contraception startup developing non-hormonal, non-permanent methods of contraception both for men and for women to use. As you'll hear from company CEO Akash Bakshi, Your Choice started as an idea in a UC Berkeley lab, ended up going through the prestigious Y Combinator Accelerator program, and is now a funded startup aiming to bring new contraceptive categories to market. One is a contraceptive gel that's both effective at reducing the risk of pregnancy and STDs, and the other is an oral, non-hormonal pill that men can take to render their sperm temporarily unable to impregnate a woman's egg. Considering how high the stakes are, Contraception innovation is a topic I really don't think that we hear enough about, so I'm particularly grateful to get to devote an entire episode here to hearing the story of one startup seeking to make it easier for us to make, well, fewer of us. I now bring you Your Choice Therapeutics CEO, Akash Bakshi. Akash, welcome to the Business for Good podcast. Thank you, good sir. Uh, Fancy seeing you here. (laughs) Yes, what a shock. I know that must be very, very surprising. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, I'm really looking forward to talking with you about this because this is a a topic of great passion of mine, uh, something that I have thought a lot about, but don't know a lot about because I have uh, real concerns um, relating to many of the things that you are trying to solve. And so I'm psyched to learn from you and want to ask you just to get started here, Akash, just hit me. What's the problem? Why do we need innovation and contraception right now? Like, what, What is the problem that people can't just keep doing what we've been doing? That's a great question. And I think um, there's a graph that we often show when we're pitching, which shows the contraceptive failure rates. And what you'll see is that the that condoms actually have a nearly 60% failure rate over a five-year period, and that the pill has about a 40% failure rate in a five-year period. And so really, we need to create products that are highly effective, but also that are newer and and are meeting people where they're at. Because obviously, those contraceptives which exist right now are just not good enough. 
Hmm. Okay, so there's a problem that you know they're not foolproof. Basically, uh, that you could still have uh, you know some. Uh, uh, for lack of a better term, sometimes the goalie isn't doing their job and, and the ball gets through. Uh, that's right. Okay. So, so that's one problem, but, uh, in addition, you know, if you think about especially male contraceptives, there just aren't a lot of options out there, right? So it seems like for a long time, mostly the burden on contraceptive has largely been on women. Is that how you see it? That's right. I, well, I mean, I think before the 1900s, the, the uh the burden was all put on men actually the two contraceptives that were developed for men were all developed in the modern or at least the modern versions of those contraceptives were all developed in the 1800s so for example um what's surprising is that the vasectomy was actually de- i believe developed first in 1841 please tell me that that came after the advent of anesthesia uh, actually, that's a really good question. I know that it was first performed in dogs. Oh, and man, that's then, horrible. And then I think it was done on prisoners, um, mm. if, I'm not, if I'm not remembering incorrectly. But I mean, it, actually, because if you think about like you watch these Civil War movies and they didn't have pain relief back then, so and that was 20 years later. So, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine too many men were volunteering to sign up for an unanesthetized vasectomy. Exactly. I think it was more of a punishment than anything else. But what's crazy is the next thing is that Charles Goodyear, the man that gave you your tires, also developed the the mo- the modern version of the condom, the vulcanized, the rubber condom. And it was really him thinking, you know, what else can I do with vulcanized rubber? Which I think also results in where the name rubber comes from for, for condoms as well. So for men, all of the con- all of the contraceptives that men have been using uh, have predominantly been developed in the 1800s, let alone what innovations we think may have happened over the 1900s. Um, we're all using old technology. Huh. Interesting. So when did it start becoming then the responsibility of women? Because I mean, obviously, you know, still condoms are a big business, but a lot of people don't want to wear them for obvious reasons. And they have all types of deficiencies other than that, too. So, uh, you know, generally, at least in, in my view, it has seemed to be the responsibility of women in recent generations uh, to start taking some type of a hormonal supplement, like a pill or whatever. When did that come about? That this is a very good question. So, because up until that point, there were no real, mm, real female contraceptives that one could use. And so, what's crazy is I think in the twenties, Lysol was actually a vaginal douche to actually prevent pregnancies. And there are ads that um, at least I've read about. I have not seen. Um, that essentially show that, you know, Lysol was used as like a feminine hygiene product that would, you know, clean away uh, sperm and keep her family happy by decreasing family size. Uh, so that sounds uh, about as effective as using a disinfectant bleach to prevent COVID. Well, yeah, I, th- I think it's just, it's such a different time. To, and I think that also just highlights, um, you know, what few options were available that, you know, uh, this kind of feminine hygiene product was really, really what was available to women. But then came, to your point, the pill. And after the pill came the IUD. And then, of course, you have like, you know, injections, implantables, um, vaginal rings. 
But what's important to think about is all of these, or predominantly all of these female contraceptives have all been hormonal based. So it's the idea of, you know, how do we prevent ovulation uh, or how do we use hormones to prevent pregnancy? Um, and so really it's just, you know, one innovation that we're really focusing on um, for women as well. And to think that there is no real choice here for women to think of other options or perhaps other non-hormonal options, I think that's where, again, why we think that there's such a key opportunity. And so maybe we go back to male contraceptives because I think you actually hit on uh, hit on how condoms are really not things that men particularly are good at using and not actually something that um, they like using either. So, so like you mentioned, so, so we can talk about also how hormonal contraceptives are, yeah, there are many women who don't do well with them, but if, if the predominant mechanism that, that men have to prevent pregnancy are condoms, let's just think about how men use those condoms, right? So first off, what, what scenario are we finding men in? I mean, the likelihood is that they're probably under the influence of something or, you know, maybe they're, uh, well, I, I would assume many of them are probably have maybe drank a little bit or, or there's something. The next step is that they're probably also in the dark, right? And then the next step of actually putting on a condom properly is that you have to have an erection in order to properly put your condom on. And then you have to put the condom on. And I think men jump through a lot of steps here as they're putting the condom on to, to move past the fact that they actually have to stop doing maybe the fun stuff to get along to, to the protection part. And that's actually where we see the human error, the human component bring about a great deal of error in male contraceptives or in the condom. Mm -hmm. And it, it's what results in like a 17% failure rate for the condom. Wow. So what led you then, Akash, to co-found the, uh, the company? Like, why did you think, hey, you know, there needs to be something more here and that I'm the one with my colleagues here to do this? And what was the problem that you wanted to solve? So really, Nadia and I uh, got together and so I'll take a step back. So Nadia it was, uh, is, was a researcher at UC Berkeley in Paulina Lischko's lab. Yeah. And, and so there's Nadia, what's her last name? Nadia Manowitz. Manowitz, okay. And Paulina as well. And what's her last name? Paulina Lischko. Got it. And so those are the three co-founders of the company. That's right. So Paulina Lischko yeah. uh, is a faculty member at UC Berkeley. And it was in her lab that, that they originally identified this target called ABHD2. Um, which we identified as, which they identified as a great target for developing non-hormonal contraceptives. And they even identified a plant-based compound which hit that target and ultimately, you know, decreased sperm's ability to fertilize the egg, which is exactly what you need in a contraceptive. Um, and what's even more amazing is that a decade earlier, a group in India had essentially shown that oral administration of that compound in rats actually made them uh, unable to fertilize the egg or, or to fertilize female rats. Hmm. And this, so, is, this is non-hormonal. That's right, non-hormonal. Cool. So it was, it was just something that those rats were fed every day that ultimately you know, resulted in them being healthy otherwise, 
but um, but resulted in them not getting female rats pregnant. And if you stop taking it, then its effect is is no longer. Yeah, that's right. You kick back the ability for sperm cells to to have that to have the ability to um, uh, fertilize eggs. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so then the idea was this could be something that could be used both oral, orally by both men and women. Is that is that the idea? That's right. And but I have to be honest. In 2018, we only were really focusing on the female aspect of this. We just didn't have the ability to think about how to work on the male aspect. Okay. And so how did you get, how did you go through the idea of starting a company? This had been researched at UC Berkeley for years. Other people had thought about it, let's say in India, like you had just mentioned, Akash, but uh, at some point you thought to yourself, I want to actually move this out of the academic realm and into the commercial realm. So what happened? Like, where did you start to come up with this idea for a company? So the the idea phase was actually just, you know, Paulina and Nadia had written a paper. They were looking to spin the company out and had applied for grants. And we were just then um, looking for additional funding to move that program forward. And we're just super grateful that we got into Y Combinator, which ultimately gave us that first tranche of capital to leave our jobs. For those who aren't familiar, Y Combinator, the prestigious accelerator program that gives you, what is it, like $150,000 um, in exchange for, I think, 7% of your company. Is that right? And then, then they right. also that, give you get a lot of mentoring to help get your company off the ground. Absolutely. So we were very lucky that, that we were accepted into the program. And essentially then, you know, we're able to focus our time full-time on how to develop this uh, develop contraceptives. And at the time we were only thinking about, we were really focusing on female contraceptives. While we were in that program, Paulina actually made another, uh, she found another target that was actually um, specific to sperm cells and opened the doors to really think about something that could be used as a male contraceptive far more easier than the original target that we were working on. And that's when the lights turned on. And along the way, she actually even identified that there was an already FDA approved drug that kind of hit that target and could potentially be used as a contraceptive in the near term. So it, so the company kind of flipped on its head. If you think about it, Mm -hmm. we started a company saying, we're going to go look for a molecule to, to develop into a contraceptive. And while we're in Y Combinator, just, you know, towards the end, all of a sudden, look, here's another target. And here's actually a drug that you can develop into a contraceptive. It was just, uh, you know, flipping the company on its head almost entirely. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, a lot of startups do that. Of course, they uh, start with an idea of one thing and then end up pivoting to something else. Um, do your co-founders, uh, Nadia and Polina, share your concern about you know making contraceptive easier, not just to help uh, the the people using it, but also as the other benefits that you all talk about, which is small what family small excuse me what uh, smaller family sizes can do, uh, both for the children who are born, so they have more resources available to them and a greater chance to succeed, but also to help address some of the climate problems that you guys have talked about as well with this. Yeah, so our focus is on developing 
new contraceptives that can meet men and women where they are in their lives, right? And so there are phases in a man's life when a condom may be the best approach um, for him. But there might be other times when a, uh, when a man is in a long-term committed relationship where a male contraceptive might actually be better. And similarly, similarly, there are likely times in a woman's life where hormonal contraceptives are just not cutting it. And there's still a need to prevent pregnancy. Um, and either, you know, because hormonal contraceptives do come with side effects. And so thinking about how we develop something that doesn't have or has a different side effect profile or, or fewer side effects so that women don't have to pick and choose what they want to do and still prevent pregnancy. That's, that's the goal here. But to your point, I think contraception is, it plays a really important role in socioeconomics. It also plays an important role within how we think about um, climate change as well, right? Because to some extent, climate change is happening because population growth has just been, you know, exponential, right? And so it's important to think, consider that even in the United States, unplanned pregnancy rates are nearly 42%. And so if that's the case, and, you know, two out of five pregnancies are unplanned, if we pre created better tools, I wonder if we could show that that number, that two in five uh, unplanned pregnancy rate would go down. And of course, that would have a positive impact on, on the climate. And I think also it would provide a better opportunity for those that are on the lower rungs of the socioeconomic strata to, to be able to save more or be able to, to not dip below the poverty line. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. So, you know, the, the evidence is very clear that especially for people with fewer means, having fewer children really is part of the ticket to escaping that cycle of poverty. And there are other environmental benefits that you allude to as well. So well, let me just ask you, Akash, why is it that there aren't more male contraceptive options. I mean, pretty much the options are condoms or vasectomy, right? So why is it that there hasn't been more innovation in male contraceptives over the past several decades? I think the easiest answer is probably it's hard. And so, um, and I don't know, um, it's hard. And so I think it, I think developing that final product is, is, um, not for the faint of heart, but at the next level, you know, I think the, the idea that a man would be willing to take on the burden of contraception or family planning might also be considered something new as well, right? Like, I don't think in the 1950s version of America that we looked at, I don't know whether one would think that, um, men would take on the burden of family planning. And I think another way of thinking about that, um, perhaps more crudely, is to think about what did, you know, paternity tests do to the burden of, of family planning or unplanned pregnancies? So if you imagine pre-1980 or 1990, when, you know, paternity tests were not as available, if a woman had an unplanned pregnancy out of wedlock and she said, you know, I think that this is the father, that gentleman could of course say, no, that's not my father, that's not my child. And there's no way of moving that forward. 
And I don't think it's until, and this is of course not my data. This is actually uh, a report that I read from a, a pharma company who actually showed that, you know, as paternity tests became available, men then became interested in uh, preventing unplanned pregnancies because it was the first time that their lives ultimately changed. I can imagine the stakes get a little bit higher when there's all of a sudden some evidence there. <laughs> exactly. Otherwise, it's just no. Uh, yeah. and, and actually, the, the report actually said stuff like, you know, um, that men would say, oh, she's blaming me. But imagine if she was with me, she was probably with so many other men. And they're, prob- they're the ones who are actually the father of this child, not me. And they're able to... to run scot-free. And yet it's very clear that this woman's life has, has ultimately changed. Mm, right, right, of course. So my understanding, and, and tell me, Akasha, if you think this is wrong, is that attempts to create male contraceptives in the past have had some pretty unsavory side effects. Uh, so some of them that just could never get off the ground would be things like side effects like reduced sex drive or uh, even erectile dysfunction, other things that pretty much no man is going to sign up to take, right? So uh, is that like, how are you, is that all because they are, they've been hormonal in nature, comparable to the pill? Uh, and if so, how, like, how are you getting around that? I know that what you all are doing is not um, hormonal, but how can you guarantee that there aren't such deleterious side effects associated with the your choice uh, answer here? It's a really good question. And so um, I think what's funny uh, is that many of these side effects that we say are non-starters for men are the base side effects that women deal with day to day with the pill, right? So they deal with headaches, the same that have been shown for men. Decreased sex drive is there for both couples. Weight gain is there for both. Tender breast is there for both. Um, and so really you're looking at a product, at least for the hormonal male and the hormonal female contraceptives, you see very similar um, side effect profiles. And yet you see that women are willing to take on this risk benefit profile of, of taking on the risk of um, hormonal contraceptives because again, unplanned pregnancies drastically change their lives. And so to your point, mm-hmm. we really do have to be somewhat sensitive to, <laughs> to developing a product that men will be able to stomach and ultimately continue using. Um, and I think the, the way that we're doing that is, um, or the way that at least we're trying to do that is by focusing on, a, uh, on just sperm cells and not, do, not developing uh, a drug that has um, that has side effects to other um, other I don't know how to say this in another way other targets or other proteins right hormones are very non-specific they they are able to you know go through your entire body and and have a cascade of effects that we see um, our, what we're hoping is that we can develop something that is specific to sperm cells and not to other other types of cells so that the effects are really specific hmm. to, to decreasing either sperm motility or sperm count. Interesting. So how far are you? You say what you're trying to do. So just tell me, Akash, like how much money have you all raised and how close are you to actually achieving that goal of creating something that has all those characteristics that's effective without the side effects? That's a good question. So for the pill for men, I think we're still a decade away. Um, and you know, we've raised $1.8 million. And part of that money, of course, has gone to developing the pill for men. But what's, what we've also found on the way 
is this other compound that we're developing as like a vaginal lube um, that can in, that can um, prevent pregnancy, but also prevent the spread of STIs as well. Hmm. And and so we're, that's actually the product that we see going into the clinic first. So uh, if we <laughs> perhaps rewind a little bit. Right, and think about what options are available to men and what options are available to women and how they differ. Right, Men are left with condoms, which we call on-demand contraceptives, contraceptives that you, know, you could use just before intercourse uh, to prevent pregnancy. And I think to, you know, to some extent that changes the psychology of how, of how men approach intercourse is that you know, don't, like, they're ready whenever because all you need to do is have a condom. Women, on the other hand, predominantly all of the options that they have available to them are those that have to be used, you know, three weeks before intercourse happens. And it leaves women in a position where, you know, they're planning to protect themselves in case they have intercourse. Um, and those options that are available on demand, like um, spermicides or... Um, or diaphragms. Diaphragms are are, um, are similar to condoms in, in that they're a barrier-based approach, but have you know lost favor almost entirely in, in most of the world. And um, you know, spermicides are not highly effective. And, and those spermicides that have been developed um, prior to prior to the 2000s, all of them actually increased women's risk of getting HIV. They use a product called nanoxinol nine. And cause vaginal irritation. So really, men, women are left with no great on-demand contraceptive option. And so, kind of one of the products that we're developing is this, you know, vaginal lubricant that women can discreetly keep in their purses and just apply just before intercourse that would prevent pregnancy. And what's very cool is that the active ingredient within this lubricant also prevents the replication of HIV and HSV2, the virus that causes genital herpes. Um, and we think that that will be something very exciting that women would love to use. And the added kicker is that I think that to the point is that this could also be a great condom coating. So if you remember, I said men are not particularly great at using condoms. But if we thought in the near term that we could do something to coat condoms with our product, and ultimately make them more foolproof or more effective, I think that that would also be a game changer as well. Hmm, cool. So what you're talking about then, uh, just so I'm clear, is you're working simultaneously on a male contraceptive pill that could you know, perhaps be a decade out, but also some type of lube that you could use intravaginally that would be useful with or without a condom for both protecting against pregnancy and STDs that's a lot closer to market. So on that second product, how close are we? That product, we're half a decade out, right? I think okay. uh, it's a, a, by biotech standards, it's a lot faster to market. Mm -hmm. um, and it's predominantly because the profiles that are uh, the profile of the drug that we're using have been shown to be, you know, very well tolerated with very few negative side effects, and um, we hope to to ramp that out in the near future. Nice, and at, or, or at least run trials on that product in the near future. 
Yeah. What will it take? Like how much funding do you think that your choice is going to need in order to bring that type of a product from where it is today to actually being on a, you know, a drugstore shelf that somebody can go pick up when they want? That's a good question. And, uh, I think it's based on what happens during the clinical trials, but for the next tranche, you know, it's, it's not a significant amount of capital. It's, you know, less than $10 million, but I think the vision, um, or at least $10 million to move, to move, you know, many parts of the the product forward, not only into the clinic, but also do more work on the pill for men. Um, and the idea is just doing the work, um, and making decisions along the way to help increase the likelihood of success as we develop a product that I think the world actively needs. Cool. How much of that do you think is going to come from investors versus grants? I know you all have some, received some some uh, non-dilutive funding from, for example, NIH. Have you uh, thought about maybe uh, other types of funding that could be non-dilutive? Uh, so yeah, so of course, we love non-dilutive grants. And I think we keep going <laughs> yeah. back to the well uh, as as much as possible. And And to be very honest, I think we're very grateful to the NIH because that was the first Actually, you know what? NIH was the second check into Your Choice Therapeutics, to be very honest. Um, but they also more, we we received another grant from the NIH more recently to help us with the development of um, of our vaginal gel, which we're also super grateful for. But I think, I believe that, um, I think venture capital will love this idea. I think they do love this idea. This idea of of developing the pill for men, of developing you know, um, a condom coating or a lube that's, uh, you know, a non-barrier based way of not only preventing against pregnancy, but also STIs. I think who, who does not want a product like that? And I think what people, what I, I remember why Combinator always says is, you know, build something people want. And I'm pretty sure this is what people want. <laughs> yes, uh, certainly. I hope so. I, I can't imagine that people wouldn't want that. It just sounds uh, almost too good to be true. So, hopefully, uh, hopefully that will be the case. I'm glad that you guys have this good team. I'm glad that things are moving forward for you. That you've got some funding in the door, and hopefully, uh, you'll you'll be able to bring in some more and, and reach your goals even quicker than you're anticipating. You never know what's going to happen. So now that you've been at this for a couple of years running this company, Akash, let me ask you, like, are there any resources that have been helpful for you in uh, actually uh, the entrepreneurial life that you have adopted here? So taking this out of the lab at an academic institution, and actually bringing it into a uh, attempted commercial reality? This is a really good question. So uh, I did not take the NSF i directly. Uh, I attended the courses, but never for your choice. But I think that that lean launchpad methodology is just super helpful for for biotech companies or for any science based company to okay. think about as they're as they're moving the company forward. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know, uh, NSF ICOR is the National Science Foundation's Innovation Core program that uh, uses like um, you know essentially education to help researchers gain valuable insights into how to commercialize some scientific endeavor that you're doing. Right. That's that's exactly right. Yeah. Cool. The other thing. The other thing that I think is the most important for, I don't know, or at least what, what I think um, is the most important attribute for someone who's thinking about starting any company is just making sure that it's a problem that you're motivated to solve um, 
because I think that the, I think the life of an entrepreneur is so such a roller coaster. It's so sinusoidal where you'll go from the highs of highs to the lows of lows within minutes. And it's not the highs that actually stay with you. It's actually the, at least I can only speak for myself that I remember the lows a lot better than I remember the highs <laughs> any part of our development. Yeah. Um, actually, well, that, I started, I started very, journaling. Yeah. It's, it's very, uh, it's very much in human nature to do that. Of course, like you can hear a million compliments, but if one person disses you, that's what you remember. That's you know, right. Like, you could have, you know, uh, reviews of your product or your company online, a hundred great reviews and one, one star review. And you're of course going to focus on that. That's right. And so I actually just started, you know, I, this is something that works for me. I actually journal now every day to force myself to remember what actually good happened today, rather than focusing on, uh, everything else that, that we had to fix. Um, and so I think that, yeah, making sure that it's a problem that you're willing to continue to keep standing up once you get beaten down, I think is really important because otherwise you're not, I don't, yeah. Otherwise I don't think I would have been successful. Like if I didn't find, if I wasn't passionate about the pro projects I was working on, I would just be like, all right, next. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I, there's, sure. a, there's an easier way to, to make a living or, or to make a positive impact in the world. And but if you believe strongly that what you're working on can have a positive impact, or if that's what motivates you, and that's what motivates me, I think that it, it the likelihood of success increases significantly. Yeah, well, to quote the great philosopher Rocky Balboa, who said <laughs> that, that, you know, in, in life, it's not about how hard you can hit, it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. And that's how winning is done. And I feel yeah, like... Man. It, you know, in entrepreneurship that uh, certainly seems to resonate with many people, myself included, um, as to accepting that there's going to be things that go wrong all the time, all the time. Mm. And it makes it even more important to celebrate those rare times when things actually go right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So Akash, there are lots of ways to make the world a better place. You have chosen trying to increase access to easy and pain-free contraceptive options, which of course is very noble and could do a great deal of good in the world. But are there other ideas that obviously you're not going to pursue because you're busy running your choice therapeutics that you hope that maybe a listener on this show will pursue to make the world a better place? Yeah. So the, the two that come to mind for me are, are I think, very mm, repetitive or things that I think everyone has heard of before, which is kind of like, how do we focus on developing? How do we how do we start pulling away carbon dioxide from the atmosphere or otherwise? How do we think about developing better cleaning or clean drinking water for people everywhere in the world? Because that really should be something that I think should be available around the world, regardless of where you live. Yes. Uh, well, those are both good topics. And interestingly, so we've done episodes in the past on both of those. So we had on a uh, very inspirational entrepreneur named Graciela Chincholninsky, who's the CEO mm -hmm. of Global Thermostat. And what, mm -hmm. she, she's raised tens of millions of dollars so far to innovate on ways to suck CO2 out of the atmosphere. And nice. you know, I think, yeah, a lot of people, you know, think 
well, you know, shouldn't we just focus on reducing emissions, which of course is very important. But I think at this point, we're so far beyond where we need to be that we need to be doing both reducing emissions and sucking CO2 out of the atmosphere, because otherwise I think there's not much chance that we meet the climate goals that we have to meet. So that's one. And we also had on a company called Flow Water, which is doing some really cool things to uh, make it easy for people to filter water uh, right on site. So, um, but hopefully there will be more companies in these spaces and maybe there will be somebody listening to you, Akash, on this show, and that'll push them over the edge to finally take that dive and go start their own company on one of those type, one of those topics and do something great. And in the future, we'll have them on this show and they can tip their hat to you and say that they, uh, they were motivated by that guy from Your Choice Therapeutics and that they, <laughs> they did this. So that would be very do cool. It. Yeah, <laughs> do it. Because I think that you learn so much by... I think you learn so much through entrepreneurship, not just about what you're working on, but just about yourself. Um, and I think, yeah, I think you learn by it's, it's something that you learn just by doing rather mm -hmm. than, uh, and, but I do think that hearing other people's stories and having just good founders outside of your own space is really great also, because it allows you to just check in on reality to see like, is this a, is, am I alone in how I feel about things? So yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So start a and, company, especially if you think you're going to do some good. Amen. Well, I couldn't agree with you more that the best way to learn is simply to do it. Um, a past guest on the show used the analogy where she said, you know, if you want to learn how to play soccer, you can read as many books about it as you want. But the actual way to learn is to play soccer. And yeah. I think that is the same here. So hopefully you have inspired some people to get on the field and start playing themselves, Akash. But I'm grateful for what you're doing. I appreciate everything you're doing. And I'll be cheering for you from the sidelines as you continue to develop these products and hopefully get them on market a lot sooner than you anticipate. Thanks, good sir. Thanks for listening. We hope you found use in this episode. If so, don't keep it to yourself. Please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And as always, we hope you will be in the business of doing good. 